0: No matter how big your studio business is, if you market it well and price it correctly, there could be a buyer out there looking for exactly what you're selling. Wherever you find yourself in your business journey, it's really good to be aware of your options. Maybe you want to own your business for a few more years, or perhaps you're ready to make a change soon. Maybe you've never considered selling your business before, but know that this really is a very, very possible opportunity for you if you're educated on the process and exactly what goes into a successful sale. Today, I'm talking with my special guest, Anne Raber, about the ins and outs of selling a studio business. Welcome back to the Pilates Business Podcast. I'm Sarah Ann. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, and I'm here with Anne Raber, who is an author, a Pilates instructor, and an experienced seller and buyer of Pilates Studio Businesses. Welcome, Anne, to the Pilates Business Podcast.
1: Thank you, Sarah and thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so
0: excited to hear to, to hear all about what you have are going to be sharing with us today because um, for those of you who are listening, over the last 15 years, Anne has worked for dozens of boutique fitness businesses. And over that time, she saw many of the studio owners she worked with navigate the world of very small business ownership. And in 2016, she actually began helping one of those owners, her um, co-author of the book that she has recently written, um, to uh, buy and sell Pilates Studios in Newport Beach, California. And after completing a handful of very successful sales and purchases of small studios on their own, without paying for brokerage services, by the way, Anne and Murphy decided to share all that they had learned. In the process that they had gone through um, and refined, actually, through selling boutique businesses, um, in the book that they have uh, written called "You Can Sell Your Business: A Practical Guide to Selling Your Very Small Business." So, I am w- excited to to I was excited to bring Anne on because when we are building and growing our businesses, you know, many studio owners think long term about um, where are we. Going with this, what what do we where does where do where do we where do we what's going to happen when it's the next step? What how does that work? And for so many studio owners, you know, you go into this. Sometimes, you, many times, you start a studio from from nothing. Um, sometimes you purchase a studio and build and grow, and then at some point, you might want to perhaps sell it or perhaps buy a second uh, location, perhaps buy a second business, and. There is so much that goes into a successful sale, right, Anne?
1: It's very true. And I think the word that we use for what you're describing is exit strategy. Um, And not everyone thinks about that because starting a business, whether it's a boutique fitness business or another type of business, a lot of the guidance that you find for that process doesn't include what's your exit strategy. And this was definitely something we learned a lot about in our process. And we think there are things that business owners can do, particularly in an industry such as Pilates, that will build in some support for themselves when it's time to move on. And it should be time to move on at some point. We, we don't expect to run the same business or have the same job for the duration of our careers.
0: That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And there's a lot, even if you're not, necessarily planning to sell your business or to buy a business perhaps even in within the next you know six months or a year is still worthwhile um undertaking certain activities in your business to prepare for that potential uh down the road isn't that right
1: that's absolutely true something we had somebody write a review for us on amazon who said um oh no it wasn't maybe it was just in conversation somebody was telling me they said uh they don't own a business and they were reading the book and they said, uh, it really made me think about how to start a business. All the things that you run into when you sell, a lot of these, the scariest or most daunting or difficult parts of a st- preparing your business for sale are things that you can head off when you begin by setting certain practices in place. And I was surprised to hear that from someone. We really wrote our book for people who own businesses, but she was not wrong. It definitely can apply to all those aspects of the uh, of the process: buying, running, r- buying, establishing, running, and selling. Wherever you are in the process, at some point, your business will change hands. You won't own it anymore. And the sooner you can organize and streamline some of these practices that potential buyers are going to need to have in place, the better.
0: Right. And there's a, a few different kind of components that go into setting up your business for a successful sale um I'd imagine you want to absolutely get your numbers and your books in order and in a in in a presentable way um and and as well as sort of thinking about what assets you have in your business and the value of those um but there's also other things that you that you would you recommend in your book and um documenting processes and um operations within the business as well are also quite important.
1: Absolutely. I think um, when you're starting to consider a sale, wherever you are in your process of considering a sale, um, you want to come up with a way in words, in a presentable document to explain how your business runs. And the most important thing about this and where I think so many business owners get into trouble is they're a little embarrassed about how their business runs. (laughs) Like their business runs in ways that are kind of not ideal always. We all have this. Um, And I think when you are preparing for a sale, you need to be able to present your business as it is to potential buyers so they know what it is. And they can make a decision about whether they want to buy it or not. It's a lot like uh, you get that dating advice sometimes, like don't present yourself perfect because you're going to attract the wrong people. And once they realize who you really are, they're going to be upset and they're not going to want to be with you. It's exactly the same with this. Present your business as it is. If you have a very intuitive and somewhat unsuccessful way of hiring employees, for one thing, organize what that process is. Maybe you'll change it in over, the next, uh, over the next period of time. Understand what your process is and document it so that you can share it with the next owner. We do an interview like this. We do a phone call like this. This is the employee handbook, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it goes for those financial statements too. It's, Saren, it is shocking if you are looking to buy a business what business owners will send to you thinking it's okay, thinking this is like an acceptable presentation of finances for a buyer. You really, and our book has a lot of this, but you really need to be honest and clear and honest about what you don't know. If, if you don't know, you don't know, explain it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So I've got some questions that I think always are the kind of the questions that I, most studio owners were sort of thinking, perhaps sometimes voice them, sometimes raise them, but often worried about what the answer might be. So, oh kind of, okay. <laughs> so but I know you can, I know that you can shed some light. So, um, in your book, you talk about, um, a very small business, right? And I think oftentimes when we, if, if you're an independent studio owner and you have maybe one or two locations and you're looking to sell one or two of those locations, you, I, you know, how big does a business need to be or how small, like when you talk about small business and what does that, what does that look like?
1: Um, our book and our work is for what we decided to call after a lot of debate, A very small business. I wanted to call them tiny businesses, but Murphy flatly refused. Um, But a very small business, we're defining as having maximum $2 million a year in uh, gross profit, in gross uh, earnings, a million in net, not a lot of employees, mostly part time employees, if that. And that's like a high ceiling. We're talking about businesses that are owner involved. Generally, you might even be the owner and only employee of your business. You might have a couple of part-time employees. You might be a studio owner manager, and you have a little team of instructors. Our business um, that we had in in, uh, Newport Beach for many years was a studio manager and a desk person, and about a rotating cast of nine or ten instructors. This is medium-sized, very small business. It can definitely be it can be pretty minimal. It can be you and two reformers in an office space. And it's still a small business. And you have found, if you are that person, that a lot of the resources for very, for small businesses, resources for small business owners, everything from software, payroll work, uh, virtual assistants, bank accounts, and especially literature designed for mergers acquisitions sales and purchases are not talking to you they're talking to way bigger businesses because way bigger businesses have way more money and so it's more worth it to offer services to them right now
0: it regardless of the size so regardless of the size of the revenue stream income earnings businesses can have a much much lower level of earnings and still be sellable right
1: you can. Yes. I mean, <laughs> businesses will businesses are always sellable, even if they're not making any money. And in a lot of cases, even if they're if they're losing money, because right. starting a business is always more expensive, yes, particularly when we're talking about Pilates particularly when we're talking about Pilates equipment and full service studios. And this is something really specific to our industry and I'm obsessed with it because it is so unique. It is different for a yoga studio. Maybe it's the same for a spin studio, I would imagine, but Pilates is is my favorite. Because you've made this investment in essentially vehicles for a Pilates instructor starting out or a would be studio owner investing in new equipment, investing in equipment that's consistent across brands from the secondhand market, it's a nightmare. You're always better off purchasing an existing business and working from there. Not to mention all of the other little things that go into starting a business. You might remember them from when you started a business, getting a website, just setting up an email address that works, using, choosing and signing up for a software program to manage clients. Your client list, even if it's very small, even if you saw 20 clients this year and you didn't make any money, you barely covered your rent, or you didn't cover your rent, your partner helped you cover your rent. And this happens in our industry. You know this. Um, It is still worth putting your time into selling that business and that brand because it will have value to someone else um, in a lot of different cases. And I would say there are two people we're talking to in our book. One of them thinks that they can't sell their business because their business is not doing very well. Maybe they're embarrassed about that, or maybe they just feel like I failed. Who would want my failure? Um, The other is people who think their business is worth millions, and it isn't. (laughs) And you... There are less of those people, and they're not going to read our book anyway. but and but in any case, you do see both. There is the the right marketing strategy and the right sale price.'ll we'll find you the right buyer. I, I would say, I'm pretty optimistic. Maybe Murphy would disagree. I think any business can find its buyer with enough time, patience, good marketing, and the right price.
0: Yeah, and it will yeah. always
1: be more than it will always be better for you than closing.
0: Oh yes absolutely absolutely because you know, as a business owner you have developed like you said you've, you've invested a lot of time that probably you did not pay yourself for to build and grow the business and do all of those things in the beginning building the website training a team hiring right we're not necessarily as a business owner paying yourself by the hour for all of those things um, and you have a lot of you've built a brand that has value and you've built a a cash flow that, that has value, right? And so definitely I completely agree, you know, that going after if you intend to to leave your business um to sell it is the best outcome for sure.
1: Absolutely. If I could give an example, there was a studio, our studio is in Newport Beach, a very crowded shopping center. Pilates is huge, classic Newport, Orange County reality show life. And near us was A very old school, small office sort of space with a Pilates studio that was open. Almost, it was never open publicly. It was by appointment only. You know what I'm talking about? It was a single instructor who had her studio. She did private and semi-private lessons by appointment only. Very little marketing, but a lovely space anyway. And I always really wanted us to buy it because... It was a good space for a Cadillac and a reformer and a chair. She had found the right space. She had put the equipment in it. And it was close enough to our busy classes, 12 reformers studio to have this side location for private lessons and semi-privates. So we could run such things concurrently. Somebody in that owner's situation might think like, oh, these behemoths, like they don't want anything to do with. My business and I'm not gonna do it anymore. So I'll just sell my equipment on the, uh, you know, I'll sell my equipment through through the Balanced Body website, and that's and that's that. And I would so strongly encourage people in that type of situation to really consider the value that your business can offer to businesses that you don't think have anything to do with your style. We ended up purchasing, not that one, unfortunately, she's still going, but we ended up purchasing a similar studio that was like that, that was very small, never open, no marketing, couple reformers. And we ran it as a sort of second location exclusively for privates and semi-privates. And we no longer had to crowd our big studio with that. It was a huge benefit for us. So... Always keep in mind in Pilates, particularly, or cycling, or especially uh, yoga, if you have that type of space um, that's really specific and awesome for for those types of that type of work. You you might be a diamond for a business that you never imagined.
0: Yeah, and it's really all about being able to see the opportunity for someone else. And I, I'm assuming a little bit of that comes through when you are putting together your. Sales deck or your We marketing say sales pitch. deck.
1: <laughs> you say sales deck. Um, we say you sales know, I... deck. We we use the word prospectus, but I don't like that as much. In, <laughs> no. When I'm selling a fun. business, when I'm helping sell a business, I'm talking about a sales deck. There's different yeah. words, but it's a packet, it's a PowerPoint. Yes. That is your pitch. Yes. And, and what pitch,
0: goes into that pitch? tell us a little bit more about what there's
1: a lot of things. It's the most, it's the biggest part of our book, the longest chapter, the longest part of our workbook, which is like attached to the back of our book. And you can, you can use the format. Um, it is layer by layer. each page goes into more detail. Effectively, everyone's going to, every potential buyer that you clear is going to look at the front. Some of them are just going to toss it and be like, Oh no. Some of them are going to turn to the first page. The first page is going to give you a pretty broad outline. This is our name. This is where we are. This is what we do. This is how much money we made last year. Interested? Turn the page. This is how many employees we have. This is what the owner does. This is how much the owner works in, a, in an average week. No details. This is how much our rent is. Still interested? Next page. This is our schedule. This is, and you go into more and more detail. And at some point along the way, around page three comes, well, even on page one, the opportunity. What's the opportunity here? And you phrase it, you explain it as you're offering someone a job. This is the opportunity to run a very tranquil, tucked back in a forest Pilates boutique with two reformers and a Cadillac and a loyal client list of about two dozen people full stop. And you go more and more into describing to this person who's looking your reader of your prospectus, what the job is that you're offering them.
0: Yeah. yeah. So in there, you've got your numbers. You need to have your numbers. Um... You do.
1: Well, Ah, uh, we have tried to buy. We have looked into buying businesses before. I've even just clicked on the links in business um, ads and been pretty surprised at what kind of information people put forward out there. Sort of just a detailed list of all their assets on the ad. This this type of thing. You want to be very organized, and you want to give people the information that they need. The first time they're looking at your business sales deck, the first time they're receiving your pitch. They need to know about how much money you make and about how much money you spend and where that money is going. And you always want to include as well options. So something that comes up over and over in our book is the fact that you run your business in a certain way according to your personal preferences and resources. And those are not shared by everyone. You might... um, You might use a a car through your business that has like a, you know, like a big uh, painting on the side of it that's an ad for your business. And that's something you purchase through the business. That's something that's very optional. The next owner might not want to. You might pay for professional cleaning services or a towel service for your clients that is absolutely just something you like to do because you don't want to deal with it. That can be presented alongside your financial statements. This is what we make. This is what we spend. Ways you could spend less ways you could earn more. We could do more promotion in this way and this way. We don't. Or we used to do we used to always offer a free class at a at a health fair. We don't anymore. You could start doing that again. Um different types of you want to sh- show for certain in gross terms where the what how much money are we talking about? Where does it come from? Where does it go? But you also always want to present those opportunities. Like, where could it go? Where could, could you save? Because that's what right. the person is going to be thinking,
0: thinking. about. You know? Exactly. And I think when you're in your business, you, it, it may or may not be obvious to... You, you may believe it to be obvious, right? Because you are in it. So you see it like, oh, we, they could do this. They could do that. This is something we haven't done. But if you're not putting it in your sales deck or in your proposal or your prospectus then they you cannot assume that they know anything other than the exact facts that you're giving them and so it it supports your uh, the sale of your business to to be almost sharing all these opportunities in a very transparent way and i think transparency here is also critical to building that trust because this is a you know to sell a studio is a is a is a, there's a two there's a relationship there of of, the, of trust that has to be established. I would say well before the actual transaction takes place. Um, and so the more transparent and more clear you can be, the more likely the conversation is to be successful.
1: Absolutely. You want to give in your business sales deck as much information as the potential buyer needs to to know what questions they have next, to understand your how your business works. It's not going to be everything. You'll include in your sales deck, we, we always at the end add really detailed financial statements that are like month-to-month financial statements for the last three years. And I will give that away, like that's not a secret. Um, you want to always offer potential buyers the last three years on a rolling basis Of what's going on in your business, the financial picture of your business. Wherever you are in your sales consideration, start keeping a really nice month to month chart that's showing that starting now, starting this week. Because then when you decide to sell, you've got it for the last six months, for the last 18 months, you have those month to month, that month to month column uh, showing how the money is going your categories are organized, not too much, not too little. That's tricky. It takes, uh, you need to, what we would call beta readers for that to show some people you show and say, does this make sense? Do you understand how my business runs when you look at this? And they will tell you if it's, if it's a mess or if it's a little vague.
0: Yeah. I'm sure it's also helpful to have a couple of people take a look at it that perhaps are unfamiliar with your business so that before it actually goes out to potential buyers, so that definitely you know, you can pick up on all of these things, right?
1: <laughs> it's so true. But you know, I in every sale we've ever done, after that first uh, couple of potential buyers reach back out to me with questions, I know I'm like, mm, that just needs to be in the sales deck. And I, I I amend the sales deck to include if there's always a question people are asking. Asterisk, explanation. Right. So, um, the big
0: question is how do you come up with a valuation for a studio business? Where do you start?
1: What's the price? (laughs) Right. Uh, How (laughs) much is it even worth? You know, I'm netting $300 a week. I don't know. Like, (laughs) so the easiest thing to do is look at the other businesses for sale that are advertising themselves. But take those offers of those prices with a bit of a grain of salt. A lot of them are gonna be a little high because a lot of those ads are being posted by brokers. Um, And those brokers always are gonna price it a little high because commission. That is a really good place to start. Try to understand just looking at your market or if your market is very small, if you're in a smaller city, look at a similar city or a couple of similar sized cities in your region try to get a feel for what places similar to yours are selling for, or at least asking for from there. So that's like, you're going to get kind of a range of prices and I would cut the top like 15 or 20% of it just off because it's, it's noise. Um, The second thing to start doing is to look at your annual profits, your annual net, even if it's low and consider what we call valuation by multiple. So you're going to take that number and you're going to multiply it by a number and that number could be two or it could be four. Four is high. This is going to be what somebody, what you're proposing with that is this is the amount of money that you could make if you took over this business today and changed nothing for the next two years or three years. And you will explain that In your sales deck and in conversation with potential buyers, they want to know how did you get to this sale price? And you'll say, because I netted $10,000 last year and for the, you know, an average of $10,000 a year for the last three years, let's say. And it seems to me that a a multiple of 2.5 for my industry in my area makes sense. They might not agree, but you have explained how you got to this sale price of $25,000, whatever. Um and that's going to be the most important thing. I think if you're multiple that $25,000, if you're this this small studio that's for you want to price your business at 25,000 because you make $10,000 a year on average and 2.5 is a healthy multiple for the pilates industry, I guess, typically. You want to be able to explain that, how you got to that number and negotiate that with your potential buyer. Um and hopefully that number that you get is in line with those examples that you found.
0: Yeah, I think that is so helpful to, to, for you to share that, that process. And the other thing that I will add to that is oftentimes, you know, you are educating yourself on the process of selling your business as you're going to sell it. Perhaps you do research ahead of time. Perhaps you start to sort of educate yourself earlier than, than, than sort of the minute you need to, to actually come to the sale, point of sale. Um, but oftentimes the buyer is also someone who perhaps may be new to business too. They often, the buyer is not, uh, has not bought a business before, has not sold a business before. And so there is often you are, you may be sort of working together. Um, and again, it's about having no assumptions about what the other person, the buyer may know, or the other person knows a potential buyer may know because they may not have, they may not understand the the concept of multiples they may not understand or know or be aware of how valuations um come about um and 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 all of that kind of logistics that goes into um the buying and the selling of a business or the transaction actually taking place so That's i think a there's a really lot of point. patience and tolerance that goes into this as well but transparency and uh, and, and 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 honesty too with with the, with you know information and understanding you know really it's a lot of, a lot about understanding the the buyer too right
1: <laughs> try not to just respond no to a low offer <laughs> like, right leave it open because the person as you said they might not know how you came to this they also might just have a really different negotiation strategy they might have bought a lot of businesses before but not in this industry and might come at you with a really, this has happened to us. They might come at you with what feels like an aggressively low offer. And that can do two things. It can shake your confidence like, oh no, like, did I, am I asking too much? Or it can make you angry and respond um, too shortly. So I think it's true. Really be open.
0: And I I think that brings to another thing that we haven't touched on that With the studio owners that I've worked with that have bought and sold businesses, there is a big emotional component to this too, and kind of coming into the process of a purchase or a sale with the right mindset is really, really important. And if you have built your business from nothing and dedicated years and years of your life to a business, it can be a challenge to then go to sell it if you're not fully prepared from a sort of a, a mindset and an emotional perspective. Um, has that been you know, your experience?
1: That is what I am doing here, Saren. Um, <laughs> when, because Murphy, my boss now partner, had this exact problem of knowing her business was her business was valuable, being very smart with money and able to value her business very accurately, but Really, when it came to defending her price to strangers who had an interest in her making her price lower, it was not productive for her and it was not pleasant. And I think this is someplace where team building can make a huge difference. I've worked in a number of sales with Murphy as the what we call in our book the lead manager. This is a pretty hard job, but if you're not the owner of the business, it's not that hard because you because you not that you don't care you care so much but it's not your baby so if you know of yourself that talking to strangers about why your business is so valuable and they should pay this for it is just going to if that makes you feel nervous or a little influenced by by fear or or anger or any feeling that just throws you off of your throws you off of your game. Consider who in your life and in your business work could be somebody to help you manage leads. This is something that brokers can this is a reason a lot of people use brokers cuz they yeah. don't want to talk to people cuz yes. cuz i mean it's some people are it's challenging. Are, yes. some people are not i mean it's not it, Yeah. um yeah, it's it's not always you're not always talking to people with the same objectives as you or with the same with the same background and you do need somebody in your life whether it's yourself or someone else to field those early phone calls to answer those questions from a place of transparency and confidence in the business not defensiveness and fear and oh my god they're right i'm a fraud never mind <laughs> and that that is something big and i think um where i i think if you in your business have or in your life have friends, employees, former employees, anybody you've old bosses, anybody you've worked with who understands your business, likes your business, <laughs> believes in it and can talk to humans, you might consider floating to them the idea of managing those early interactions for you it doesn't have to be all the way to an offer it can just be take initial phone calls figure out who's crazy and just send me everybody who's not crazy i'll deal with them from there as the owner or take it all the way to the offer call me when they've made call me when they've made an offer higher than this however you want that to work and whatever type of compensation works well for you between you and that person set that up because uh, that can take a huge load off of the, off of the stress for an owner. Just those, those interactions can be so hard. You know, I mean, it's like dealing with clients, but I mean, it is dealing with clients.
0: It's so hard. hard. Yeah. That's really, really good advice. Really good advice. Well, thank you, Anne, for coming on and sharing just a teeny bit of what you have shared in your book. Um, And if you are listening to this and you're thinking hmm i would like to learn a little bit more about how i can sell my business um, and tell us where folks can go and find the book and a little bit more about how they can find you too
1: our book is available on amazon it's around on all the amazon websites around the world you can read it on kindle it's for free on kindle unlimited or you can buy the paperback version i think it's about 13 13 bucks it's called you can sell your business written by Murphy Curtis and myself, Anne Raber. We also have a website, yourverysmallbusiness.com, where we have links to our books, a little bit of different information. We're going to start posting in the future, some offerings around helping people pull their sales decks together, resources for getting that help that you need to do this work yourself. Um, we have an Instagram, which is at your very small business, which we take a lot of information that we have in our book and we make it pretty and put it on the Instagram. <laughs> um, and yeah, we're really excited to share this process for people to read the book. It's a quick read, and we are told it's it's quite engaging as business sales books go. And uh, yeah, your very small business on Amazon around the world.
0: Fantastic. I'm going to link to that in the show notes so um, you guys can find all of that information right there. Thank you, Anne, so much for coming on and sharing all of this wealth of information. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. And thank you all for
0: listening. I really hope this episode of the Pilates Business Podcast was helpful. If it was, please, please, please go and uh, click on the follow or subscribe button wherever you're listening to this episode. And Why not leave a review while you're there? Thanks so much. I'll speak to you soon. Did you love this episode and want more? Head to spring3.com and check out my free resources that will help you run a profitable and fulfilling studio business. And before you go, one last reminder, there is no one way to do what you do, only your way. So whatever it is that you want to do, create or offer, you've got this. Thanks again for joining me today and have a wonderful rest of your day.